It's one of those where, as a coach, I feel like I just got let down, all right? I put in the play, and they didn't run the play. I asked them to run right there, okay? Um, all right, uh, Luke chapter 15. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Hear me, that is. I don't know sign language, so I can't help you there. But Luke chapter 15, we are starting a new series today. And in, the, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a very profound story. Now guys, we're not going to eat like, let's do this afterwards. I would ask you guys to kind of grab a seat and just sort of stay focused the next 30 minutes or so, because you guys can get that afterwards. So I know you're like, you know, starving and whatnot. Um, but let's do the uh, coffee cake thing after we finish today, because I know that it was kind of late today getting out there, so I apologize for that. Um, so anyway, uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a father and about two sons. And you guys might know the story as the prodigal son. We decided to name this story the, the tale of the two sons, because this story is about more than just the younger brother. It's about both sons. And so you have this contrast. Go to the first slide, my title slide, and you've got the, um, the contrast of one son's the older brother, one's the younger brother. One is the rule keeper, one is the rule breaker. One is, uh, the, the, the one on the left depicts the, the older son. He's the one that's responsible. He combs his hair. He gets up on time. He is in the band. He practices the saxophone three hours a day. He walks the dog every morning at 6 a.m. He eats his vegetables and his fruit. He's responsible. Um, he's a good son on the outside. He is the kind of son that every dad wants to have. He's the kind of guy that gets up at 6 a.m. and does his devotionals. He's the kind of guy who works 12 hours a day, comes home and says, Mom, Dad, what else can I do? He is the good son. Then you have the younger son. Every family has this contrast, do they not? There's always the responsible one and the irresponsible one, right? In almost every family, this plays out where there's like, if there's two kids, it always falls this way for the most part. There's exceptions, right? But for the most part, it falls this way typically. So there's the younger son. He sleeps in. He likes to party. He never does anything to his hair. He, uh... Likes to drink a lot, likes to party a lot. He likes to be out late at night. Um, whatever they say to do, he does the exact opposite. He is the rebellious one. He is the younger son. And have you noticed, how many of you guys in the room are, are the younger, you're the youngest in your family? Raise your hand. I'm raising mine because that is me too. All right? Now, this doesn't always work out this way, but for the most part, listen up. But for the most part, it does work out this way, where the younger person in the family ends up being like the younger son in this story, okay? Now, it doesn't always work out that way, but it works out that way some, because, because the younger son in the story typically is the one that kind of just, the parents were like, you know, we've tried really hard for the first three kids, and we're just going to let you kind of work this out on your own, right? That's what tends to happen. My own, uh, my, my mom, she's actually the oldest in her family. She's responsible. She is disciplined. She is just one of those older son type people, okay? Now, my uncle, on the other hand, he is 60 years old, still smokes pot. I'm serious. Uh, still gets drunk. Uh, has hopes of being in a band one day. Someday he will, I guess. 
Um, never really held down a job. Um, right now, he's delivering pizzas and uh, trying to make a living by doing absolutely nothing. All right? So you, you see this happening in families all the time where the older son can be really responsible, younger son can just sort of blow off life and just be like, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to rebel against all the stuff that you're doing because you're the good son. I'm going to be the bad son. This happens a lot in family dynamics, right? And so Jesus tells this story about this kind of dynamic. And so older son's a rule keeper, younger son is a rule breaker. And just so you know, this is what's called a parable, right? This is act- actually didn't happen in real life, but Jesus is depicting it as a story to display a deeper spiritual truth. Now, the funny thing about parables is that most of us think of parables like they're just these nice, neat little stories, these heartwarming stories, right? But when Christ told parables, most of the time, people would get really, really angry because of the parable. And and you may not know that from, from the surface of reading these stories, but they would oftentimes get very angry when Christ would tell these stories because there was so much in there that we miss because of our culture and where we're at today. Their culture got it, and it would make them angry. So the same thing happens in this story. So here's a summary of this story, all right? This is a parable. The younger son goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Now, if you were to go to your parents right now and say that, in our culture, you get your inheritance when? When they die, right? So if you were to go to your parents and say, I want my inheritance now, it would be like telling your parents what? It, it'd be like saying, I wish you were dead. In a good way. In a good way. <laughs> Take this as best as you can, but I want your stuff, right? So this is what happens in this story where this, this son goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my stuff. In that day, it was like saying to your father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. So he goes to his father, asks for his stuff. His father does the unthinkable and actually gives him his inheritance. The son then goes off and moves to a distant city. He squanders his wealth, spends all of his money. He wastes it. Then he starts to think to himself, you know what? My, my dad's servants have it better than me. So he decides to return back to his father's home. But then he decides, you know my dad's probably not going to receive me with open arms because I just totally dissed my father. So what am I going to do? So he decides, I'm going to ask him if I can be a servant. If I can just be a servant, that'll at least pay my bills. So walks back home. His dad sees him coming from a distance. And his dad doesn't just accept him as a slave. His dad runs to him and greets him and accepts him as a son and then throws the biggest party he has ever thrown anyone. So he receives his son back into the family. And then there's his older son. Think about this. If you're the older son in this family, you've been keeping all the rules, you've been doing everything like you're supposed to do, and your dad receives the younger son back into the family and celebrates it and kills the the fatted calf, which is a huge deal back then. You would be angry if you're, if you're the older son. You would be upset. You would think to yourself, I followed all the rules. And I've never gotten anything like that before. So the story, we're left hanging because the father's having this big party, and he's inviting his older son to come into the party. The, the son's outside 
having a pout fest, right? He's inviting his son to come into the party and partake of this festival. And so we're left hanging there because we don't know what happens in this story. You'll find out why in just a minute. Now, um, we've got to look at this in relation to us for a second. Some of you guys in the room, you're rule keepers. You are the kind of people that you are like responsible, you are on it, you are disciplined. Now, some of you in the room, you are not rule keepers. You're what I call rule breakers, right? You hate the rule keepers, right? In fact, if they make a rule, you make sure you break that rule, right? In fact, you're the kind of person that if there's a line, if there's a line, you're like, okay, where's the line so I can cross it, right? The rule keepers are like, okay, where's the line so I know to stay within the line? The rule breaker says, where's the line so I can step over it and make everyone mad, right? So this is true of us as well. So um, let's look at Luke 15, uh, verse uh, 1 through 3. Here's the setup for the story. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Love that word. They muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So first of all, who's the audience? We've got the tax collectors and the sinners, and we've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Here's who these people were. The tax collectors were people that were assigned by the Roman government to tax the Jews. Okay, Jews are under Roman control, so they decided, okay, we're going to pick other Jewish people, and we're going to assign them... They're going to tax their own people and collect money. So imagine this. Our country is invaded by, let's say, a Muslim country, okay? And they set up rule. They set up a tax system. And then um, those of us that are, that are quote, Christian Americans, um, we're living under this rule. And they decide, you know what, we're going to find other Christian Americans that want to help us tax this country. So they're going to come to you and they're going to say, okay, we want you to um, be the tax representative for this region. So we're going um, to have you be that person. Can you, can you do that for us? And the person says, okay, I will. So now you're having to go, as a citizen of the U.S., you're having to go to your friends, relatives, and people in your region and take money from them to give to this government that you all hate. Okay? And so you can imagine the people that are the tax collectors are going to be hated by everyone in this nation. They were, they were seen as traitors. You also have the sinners. Everyone's a sinner, we know, but these were the kind of people who wore sin on their sleeve. They're the kind of people who didn't apologize for their sin. They're the kind of people that were the adulterers, the uh, people that um, went out clubbing at night and just hooked up with random people. These are the people that were, lived a loose lifestyle. These are the people who were thieves, slanderers. These were the obvious sinners, and Jesus is spending time with these people, not just spending time with them, but having a meal with them, something you never did in the Middle East in that time, unless you were saying, I totally accept you. Then you have the Pharisees. These were the self-righteous. These were the the prideful, arrogant, law-abiding Jews. These were the ones that we consider, these were the good people, okay, at least in that day. And so this is his audience, and he tells this story. Look at verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, 
and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That was okay back then, just so you know. All right. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Go ahead and discuss questions one through three. Okay, are you guys done yet? Yes. Okay, we're going to push... We've got six questions at the very end, so I'm going to give you like a little bit more here, and then we'll, you guys will have more time for discussion at the very end. And I always feel like I'm cutting you guys off, so I don't want to like do that, but then again, I am. So here we go. All right, so um, as you think about the purpose of this story, I want you to think about this for a minute. Most people, if you were to survey people on the street, most people would say, That the prodigal son, the main point of the prodigal son's story is to tell sinners that there's always a a way back to Jesus, right? That's what they think the main purpose of this story is for many people. Now, that is true. There is nothing that you can do as a sinner that that is unforgivable, that God will not allow you to come back to him for, right? There is nothing that is so bad that you can... You can say, well, God will say, okay, you've done it, you've done it, you, you can't return back to me, right? So that part is true. This story is, in a sense, for people to hear that Jesus, God, is always wanting to receive us back into the fold. 
just like the father in the story. But that's not the main point of this story. The main point of the story is Jesus is trying to expose the pride and the self-righteousness and the arrogance of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. By telling this story, he is telling them essentially that you guys are like the elder brothers. These sinners, these people that you hate, they're like the younger brother. And they're wanting to be around, they're coming home, so to speak. They're wanting to be around Jesus. But you Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you guys are just like the older brothers. And if you notice in the story, watch in the story, it leaves us hanging because it never tells us what his response is, the older brother. He's outside having a pity party about the grace of the father being shown to the son. And the father is is saying to him, I'm inviting you into the same party I'm inviting him into. And the older son, we're left wondering, what does he do? And you can feel it because you can hear the Pharisees, you can feel it with the Pharisees, that they are left with the same question. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and pout and have a pity party for yourselves that I'm showing them grace? Are you going to join the party? Come into the the party that I'm throwing for these sinners that want to be near me. And so there, there was something about Jesus where he attracted this type of person. There was something powerful about Jesus where he attracted the kind of people that the Pharisees had wanted nothing to do with. And here's the crazy part. When you look at the life of Jesus, the non-religious types wanted to be around Jesus. But the religious types hated Jesus. Does that not strike you as odd considering that the church is the exact opposite? Would you agree with me that the church today, even our church here, we, we tend to repulse people that are the, quote, sinners, the non-religious type, but we tend to attract the Pharisee type. We tend to attract the older brother's type. We've got it totally reversed. In a book I was reading this past week, here's what this uh, one writer said. He said, if our preaching and our churches do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. And I'll tell you what, as a pastor, that convicts me. That convicts me. What, is it, what was it about Jesus where he attracted these types of people? And what is lacking in the church to where we repulse those kinds of people and we attract the legalistic, the arrogant, the self-righteous, the prideful people? What, what is it about us that we, we miss the gospel of grace to the point where the sinners out there in the world think that we are just self-righteous, hateful, bigoted, prideful, arrogant people? Because here's the crazy thing about Christianity. If we believe that we are really saved by God's grace alone, then why are so many Christians prideful? Why are so many of us prideful and self-righteous? I include me in this. Why are so many of us that way when we all intellectually know that the gospel is based on grace, that none of us deserve it, yet so many of us think that we do? And so 
here's why we're doing this series. Because this parable gets everyone. It gets the rule breakers. It gets the rule followers. There are two types of people in this room. There's the rule breakers and there's the rule followers. There's the older son and there's the younger son. And all of us lean towards one of those two categories. I'll share more of my story next week, but I'm the older son. That's me. That's my testimony. And God had to break me of my pride and self-righteousness and my arrogance. I'll share more of that next week, but that's me. This is me. And so in every family, these two types of people tend to exist, the older brother, the younger brother deal, the rule breaker and the rule follower. I see this even in my own uh, son and my own daughter. My son Landon is four, and which category do you think he fits into? Just want to ask your opinion on this. Rule breaker, rule follower. You guys know him very well. He's the rule breaker. Now, he's a great kid. I love my son. But he is the kid. He will negotiate with me. He's four. If I say, hey, take four more bites of your dinner, he'll go, how about two? He does this for two, by the way. I don't know why that is. All right? He counts like he goes, one, two, three, four. That's how he counts. I have no idea why that is. But he'll negotiate. I'll say, take four more bites of your, of your green beans. He'll go, he'll go, how about two? And I'm like, no, four. How about three? That's what he says. How about three? And I'm like, no, I said four, right? So Landon's the kind of kid where if, if here's the line, Landon will step over that line. Even when he was a baby, it's like I'd say, Landon, before he could even talk, I'd say, hey, don't go near that. And he'd go, and he'd crawl, Right? <laughs> And he'd start like messing with whatever it was. That's just how he is. My daughter, Sienna, on the other hand, this is what I see so far. She turns one, years, one year old uh, this week, by the way. Oh. Um, yes, yay us. We did not kill her in her first year of life. Yay us. Go us. We are such good parents, right? So, um. So she'll be a year old this week, and, uh, and she is so funny because she'll be crawling towards something like an electrical socket, and they're covered in our house, just so you know, but she'll start messing with it, and I'll, I'll say, Sienna, no, and she'll, 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 like, she'll, she'll be like this. I'll say no, and she'll be like, she'll go, <laughs> She screams, and she crawls away, okay? So she's reluctant. She's not a cheerful, obedient kid yet, but she still obeys for the most part, right? She's more compliant. She's just, that's just her personality. At least it seems like that right now. I could be, you know, jinxing myself as I say this. But here's the deal. That typically plays itself out in the family. Now, what I want you to see from this story is that there are two ways to be lost because both the older brother and the younger brother are both lost. We can't see it as like, okay, the, the one son is good, the one son is bad. They're both bad. They're both bad in their own ways. But there are two ways to be lost. The first is to live rebelliously. This is the younger brother. This is the guy that, that goes off and says, you know what, I'm going to rebel against God, rebel against my parents. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. Um, I'll follow my own rules. I'll create my own independence, create my own life for myself. I'm going to rebel against the authority in my life. This person lives rebelliously. 
The second kind of person is a person that I would say lives religiously. Now, you might think, well, I thought religion was good. What do you mean by they live religiously? Well, this is the person that they follow the rules, they do everything they're supposed to do, but in the middle of all of that, their heart is still wicked. Their heart is still far from God. Their heart is still far from the Father. You know how you can know who this person is? When this kind of person sees the Father show someone else grace, and they get angry about it. That reveals the kind of person that just lives religiously. That just follows the rules. They're just going along to get along. Their heart's not really in it, but they do it because that's just what you're supposed to do. This person lives religiously. When I was a kid, I was about eight years old, I went to a, uh, I grew up close to Washington, D.C., so I go to this uh, large stadium to hear a guy named Billy Graham. You guys know Billy Graham? You guys know who that is? I know he's a really old dude, but um, he's the guy that's like probably the, the best evangelistic preacher of the last like 500 years or so, you know? Um, so Billy Graham is, is giving this like rally at uh, downtown Washington, D.C., so I go to the stadium, and I'm like eight years old. And there's one quote that he said that day that I will never forget. Here's what, it, here's what it is. He says, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Now, that's simple, but it's very profound because when he said the words, Christianity is not a religion, my ears kind of perked up. I was like, wait, what? It's not a religion? What's he, what's he talking about? And he said, it's a relationship. What he means by that is, Christianity is not about just following the rules. It's not about legalism. It's not just about following some rules so you can earn favor with God. It's a relationship. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. The relationship has rules. But the rules are there to support the relationship. And some of you in the room right now, you see Christianity as just a bunch of rules, and that's it. But what you're missing is that it is a relationship first and foremost. There are rules there, yeah, but the rules support the relationship. Just like my wife and I, we're married. We have rules in our marriage. I don't go cheat on her. She doesn't go cheat on me. Why is that rule there? Because it makes the relationship better. It serves the relationship. Some of you guys don't get this yet. And so if there's two ways to be lost, that also means there's two ways to repent. That means there's two ways to repent and to turn from sin in this area. The first way to repent is to turn from rebellion. So this person, they realize the error of their their ways, like the son of the story. They realize they come back to Christ. They start to follow Christ again. So they turn from rebellion, but they turn towards Jesus, and they get saved. The second kind of person This person turns from religion, and they turn towards Jesus. And you might say, I thought they were the same thing. No. This person turns from just following the rules for the sake of the rules, and they turn towards the person of Jesus. And they start following Jesus. They get changed by Jesus. That's what happened to me when I was a teenager. I realized that I was just following a bunch of rules. And I wanted to turn to the person of Jesus and be saved by Jesus. Have him, set, have him set me free from my own self-righteousness. So there's two ways to be lost, two ways to repent. And we're going to unpack these ideas 
in the coming weeks. So in the room here, for the rule breakers in the room, if you're the kind of person that you consider yourself a rule breaker type, many of you think you've done too much to come back to Christ. You think you've done, you've gone too far, you've done too much, you've been too rebellious, you can't return back to him. This story says you're wrong. This story says you're wrong. And that's not the gospel. You don't have to earn your way back in. And for those of you that are the rule keeper types, you think that because of your good behavior, you deserve a relationship with God. You think that because of your good works, you deserve God's grace, which isn't really God's grace at all when you think about it. And that's not the gospel either. So we're going to try to give you this gospel grid for your life, that when you find yourself falling into certain ways of thinking, you find yourself falling into certain ways of talking about the gospel, that alarm bells will go off in your head and you will say to yourself, but that's not the gospel. When you're having a certain conversation with a friend and your friend is is saying to you and preaching a works-based gospel, alarm bells will go off in your head and you will say, but that's not the gospel, right? We want to give you that kind of grid for your life as we go through this series. So today's kind of an intro. Um, You have six more questions at your tables, and I'll challenge my leaders, make sure that uh, we don't stay past, like, say, 1220 or so. 